Welcome to Library Overload. This is Tavia. This is Susie. Don't forget to go check out our blog where we post all the books that we talk about and sometimes some cute pictures. And that is libraryoverload.home.blog. And then also check us out on Instagram where we're a bit more active and love to chat with you guys. And we are just Library Overload there. Today is a big, big day. We are talking with Finding Gobi author and Gobi's dad, Dion Leonard. So for people that haven't heard of Gobi, haven't read the book, would you mind just giving us a quick, I know the story is incredible, but just like a quick description of how you and Gobi met. Uh, the story of Finding Gobi is an incredible, a true story, an amazing journey that happened to me when I was running a race across the Gobi Desert in China. Um, on day two of the race, uh, a little stray dog would come out of nowhere and start running with me. And uh, we would form a bond that would change both of our lives forever. And uh, I would make her a promise to bring her home to the UK where I was living at the time. But before I could do that, she went missing in China. So mm. that's the sort of uh, rough version of the book, I guess, and the story. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, been an incredible sort of moment with Gobi. It was so such a beautiful, heartwarming story. And I know I've seen that on lots of the interviews and stuff that you've done, just how heartwarming it is. And especially even in moments like this and times that we are living in, we need that in the world for sure. So I think that was just, it was a perfect time to read the book for me. Yeah, I think that's the thing. The story doesn't ever grow old because it's all of those things that, uh, as you say, is, is what we're really reaching out for now and that heartwarming, inspiring, love, kindness, all of those things. And, you know, all of those things actually were, would come into effect during the race for me and some of the decisions I made to help Gobi that actually changed my life forever as well. So it's, it's pretty phenomenal to sort of think where life can take you as well if you, if you do sort of apply some of those principles as well. Absolutely. I think that... The day that she, that you had to help her across the river, I know you ended up winning that day and it's just kind of baffling. You think if you hadn't stopped her, would kind of the, the universe have let you win that round? Or, you know, it's kind of just interesting to think that you gave out human kindness to her and then you were able to get the first place finished. And that was just kind of beautiful. Yeah, I guess it was a little bit of karma, wasn't it, in the end? And Absolutely. You know, and to explain the race in a bit more detail, it's a it's a six stage, seven day, hundred and fifty five mile races, where you also have to carry all of your food and kit to survive the week. So uh, you're out there running set stages each day, roughly a marathon a day. One day you'd run up to fifty miles. You're in temperatures up to one hundred and twenty five degrees, with a limited amount of food, limited amount of water that's given to you by the race. Um, so it's really difficult conditions and uh, that's why I guess, you know, you're, you're pushed and tested along the way physically, but mentally it's really draining mm -hmm. to run each day and then to sort of get up and have to do it all again the next day. Um, it's very difficult and, you know, having Gobi beside me throughout the race was something that, of course, made my week a lot easier and a lot more fun to have her 
running beside me, running for fun, not thinking about the competition and uh, all of those little things that sort of brought back to me uh, why we do these adventures and uh, have these experiences and sometimes it's not always about winning. Absolutely. That's so true. I love how you put that. Just a follow-up question though. So I know that when uh, when Lucia first started running, you were uh, she started and you kind of followed. Um, but I got to ask, why ultra marathons? Why not just a normal 5K? Like how <laughs> normal human beings run. <laughs> Yeah, so my wife, Lucia, had been running for a couple of years. She'd already run a couple of marathons. And we we just didn't always sort of have the time to do things together because Lucia would be out running and training and I'd be, I was playing a sport. And I decided that I'd start running with her on a couple of occasions. But it wasn't really until I made a bet with a friend one night that who could run a half marathon the quickest, the 13.1-mile distance, that I started to really pick up training and uh, take running seriously. And, and I was actually overweight. I was around 200, 250 pounds at my heaviest, smoking a packet of cigarettes a day, drinking loads. I was uh, eating lots and lots of junk food. So after I'd made the bet with my friend after a few too many drinks, the next day I woke up and my wife reminded me of the bet that I'd made and I had to... <laughs> Worst hangover pain. ever. Yeah, yeah. That, wasn't, that wasn't good. <laughs> that sounds like something my husband would do just like uh, I bet you I could beat you I'm just gonna go do it and then like stick to it you know that's exactly what it was the alcohol was talking and <laughs> then it becomes pride and I didn't want to lose in front of my friends and uh, the people that was also there mm-hmm. so yeah I was I was actually um so confident that I could beat him that I gave him five minutes head start as well <laughs> Oh my god! That's how ridiculous it was. So. But you know, I, I think I had ten weeks to train for the race, and um, I, I lost a lot of weight, got fit, got to the race day, and uh, I ended up doing a really quick time, and I won the bet, and uh, that was the real sort of catalyst to start. I felt good about achieving something. I felt good about um, the weight loss and feeling fit and looking better, and. Then my wife actually said to me, why don't we go to France and do a marathon there? Not just any marathon, the Marathon de Médoc, which is a wine marathon running through the vineyards of Bordeaux. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> Every mile you get um, wine, cheese, ham, ice creams. <laughs> that which, seems counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, that was like, yeah, that sounds really cool, you know. Yeah. But I can tell you, you know, 26.2 miles when you oh. get halfway through <laughs> drinking and eating all of that stuff. <laughs> the stomach they is have like, to oh. roll you across the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I yeah. love the, that you described in the book, um, you don't love running, but you love the finish and mm-hmm. the accomplishment that you feel. And I thought that was really cool because I used to run cross country way back in the day. Um, and I felt the same way. Like I, I did not love it while I was doing it, but I loved the sense of accomplishment at the end of it. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really cool. And I think that's why like the going from the marathons into the ultra marathons, the uh, achievement is so much bigger and the, the um, you know the incredible accomplishment and the the feeling within inside yourself is huge, and that's that's why the ultra marathons really have become the thing that I've I've really enjoyed. 
-hmm. there's always something you learn about yourself when you're pushing yourself to run those ridiculous, you know, distances because mm -hmm. you tested, you have to pick yourself up and you have highs and lows and it's the lows when you really get to find out who you are and, you know, there's lots and lots of things that you can take back from those moments into real life as well and, you know, when you're going through something like we're all going through now, um, having that strength is, is really good. Absolutely. Um, so as someone that kind of jumped head first into not just kind of like running a mile or two, but jumped really into a half marathon, do you have any tips for someone that's just wanting to start out? Yeah, it's possible. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's like getting some shoes and getting out some clothes and uh, running gear and just going and just starting block by block and when I was 250 pounds that's how I started and that's how I started to lose weight and you know when you're actually at that size it's really easy to see the weight come off um, a lot quicker than than actually when you're fit and healthy it's really difficult to make the gains mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be about um, running long distances you know the couch to 5k programs are really uh, achievable and I think you know, it's great for people to be able to get outside and be fitter and healthier as well. Oh, yeah. I know you, um, when you were in China for that extended amount of time with Gobi waiting out the quarantine, I know that you had mentioned really struggling running on a treadmill. Um, so outside is really the way to go. Yeah, tre treadmill running is not fun for anyone. And, you know, it's, it's a means to an end if you have to. But there's so many great trails here in the U.S. There's so many great parks to be able to go through and, you know, there's there's so many um, wonderful things to see, but it's also just about the fresh air and the sunlight and experiencing life as well. And, you know, you don't have to run the whole thing. I mean, a run-walk strategy is used in, in all of the races that I do anyway. So, you know, don't take it too seriously and take your dog out there and, and just have fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, um, is just the kind of like, again, the feeling of accomplishment, is that the driving force for why you keep running or why you keep doing the races? Uh, I guess so. But I think my mindset has really changed from when I was running races before I met Gobi. I was running on a lot of negativity, had a really difficult, destructive, uh, depressive childhood, left home at the age of 13 and was on the streets of a small country town with no one to help. And, you know, I'd lived everywhere from under bridges. To, I lived in someone's shed for a while to hotels, to pubs, to hostels, putting myself through school all the meanwhile, like keeping everything a secret from everyone. And uh, the lifestyle was obviously something that really made me driven and determined to succeed. But, of course, a lot of sorrow and sadness and heartache in my life and, uh, when I'd run, I'd always sort of think about all of the people that had done wrong by me, said that I was never going to make anything of myself, uh, didn't believe in me. And it wasn't really until I found Gobi that I found happiness and joy. And even though I was happily married, I think there was always this little element that was missing. Yeah. Not, not having kids, sort of Gobi, I think, provided that extra reason for me to sort of be doing something for her because I saw when she was a stray dog, in the middle of the desert, I felt like that was me as a kid growing up in Australia. And I decided that I was going to, you know, give her a better life and look after her and be the person I needed when I was younger. And that brought me a lot of closure for all of those things that happened to me as well. So I still continue to run. Gobi's desert days and ultramarathon days are over. I was just about to ask. <laughs> I mean, she loves to run. She's born to run. 
um, and I continue to do it now, but I continue to do it much more positive environment in my head and much more happier reasoning to do it. Not really having to go out there and run to show people what I can achieve. I go out there to, to do it for myself. And that's mm -hmm. a really important life lesson is to just do things for yourself and, uh, you know, don't listen to what people have to say because there's too much of that these days. Absolutely. And I saw that in a couple of interviews, you said that now you're running a lot for charities. I know that you guys are big proponents of the adopt, don't shop movement. And so you run for charities. And so I can imagine that's a, a different kind of driving force as well. Yeah, that's the only time Gobi and I will run together um, publicly is for charity and to use Gobi and her profile to be able to help other animals in need, whether we go and run a five kilometer race for an animal shelter and all money goes to the shelter. Uh, we've, we've done those sorts of things. We do represent a couple of animal shelters as well, one in China and one in the UK. And it's great to be able to see Gobi's story connect with other people because when we get messages saying, we've just gone down to our local shelter in the US or Mexico or anywhere else in the world, uh, with some dog food or some blankets or we've gone down as a family and we've taken a dog home forever. You know, you just realize then that, uh, you know, you've you've given back a little bit more than just, uh, you know, taking what the story's provided. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, I have two cats and two dogs. Tavia has two dogs and all of, ours, all of ours we have, rescue. we have rescued. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, big, big supporter of that. I love that. Yeah, and it's this journey with Gobi has really been an eye-opener for me because my dog prior to Gobi, who passed away, was uh, St. Bernard, and he was a, a, a bred dog and, you know, a beautiful dog. And I wasn't really ever aware of of animal shelters and the work they did and I never even thought of going down to the, the pet shelter and picking up a dog and taking one home mm -hmm. and you know now being involved with Gobi and now being involved with some of the shelters and going down there and seeing the awesome dogs that are there and they're just there's something about them like they all have this want and need for love and they just give it back even more I think mm -hmm. absolutely I I agree. I think there, there, I don't know if it's still now, but there used to at least be a stigma where why would I want to adopt a dog that has the, have these mental blocks or they, they're, they've already dealt with so much struggle that they don't know how to act normal and things like that. But to me, it's that much better because when my super timid dog walks up to someone for the first time that they've never met, I'm like, Oh my God, you're growing up. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's magic when they start to open up. I think yeah. that's been really um, something that I'm very proud of is seeing Gobi's journey as well. Like her from the timid, shy little dog to now being this proud, positive uh, dog that's come a long way in her life as well. And, you know, it, it resonates with myself as well. So I uh, think that's uh, an incredible thing that a dog can do for you as well. Absolutely. She seems to be very comfortable with her celebrity status. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, she's a dog and she doesn't know how popular she is. <laughs> you could imagine that little head of hers would probably not fit through the door. <laughs> She is so precious, though. Um, but I saw in like, you know, I watched lots of interviews and things and she just she's just chill. She just sits there and and soaks up all the attention. And it's just like, adore me. It's fine. She, 
<laughs> she loves whoever she meets, you know, and it's again, it's just another sort of simple little life lesson. It doesn't matter who she comes across. She's just shows them the same amount of love and respect and she's just really good with everyone. And this is someone that's, you know, some, a, a dog that's met the royal family, um, rock stars, <laughs> movie stars. That's she's amazing. <laughs> resident of Slovenia mm -hmm. and uh, she just treats everyone the same you know that's that's pretty cool yeah that's absolutely awesome we should all strive for sure to to emulate that yeah she's, she's so good with kids you know she she brings a smile to their face and we've done some uh, visiting schools we, we visit a lot of schools before COVID in the U.S. and libraries and it's it's just great for kids that to meet Gobi and maybe kids that don't have dogs at home and or you know, we've had instances in the past where we've done some schools in the United Kingdom where we've had Muslim kids there that have never been around dogs, never touched dogs for the first time. And just being able to have Gobi there in her own spirit sort of show that actually dogs are really loving, kind animals as well. And uh, then the connection between them happens and uh, they, they sort of go home and they, they probably learn something else, you know, about dogs, which is cool. I know that in the book that you mentioned in, um, I'm probably going to say it terribly, Yurumchi, that there is the the stigma of um, of stray dogs or dogs in general with the the population there. Um, so I I can imagine how meeting Gobi and kind of seeing this welcoming force can expand your view on things um, for those people there and even for Muslims, like you said in in the UK. Yeah, there's a, and there's around 30,000 stray dogs on the streets of Urumqi at any one time and they're not really mistreated at all but they're not looked after either. They're just left to their own devices and uh, yeah, you do have two different languages, two different religions, two different cultures in that city, one being the Uyghur Muslim and, uh, you know, again, they're, they're not... They're not um, they're not nasty to the dogs, but they just don't, uh, it's not in their religion and they don't um, have anything to do with them as such. So that's what, you know, was pretty remarkable about the search for Gobi in that city. It really brought everyone together to come and help look for Gobi because she just mm -hmm. resonated with everyone and they were amazed that I would come all this way to look for this little dog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I think uh, it's remarkable that in the city of three million, three and a half million people that you were you were able to find her. Like, I feel like that's sort of like cosmic energy at work. Like the fact that you met her in the first place. And then the fact that you were able to find her again is just like, it feels very cosmic at work. Like there's a greater power here behind the scenes. I think you're right. And you know, whether it's uh, kindred spirit or past life or karma, I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know, but uh you know, that's something the Chinese believe about is is certainly that past life connection. And uh, who, who knows? I mean, there's something definitely between us that's really strong bond and connection that I can't really describe. And it was meant to be. And, you know, the whole Gobi going missing was devastating and heartbreaking. You know, I was heartbroken about it. And to go back out to China and to the city where I didn't know anyone and didn't speak the language to set up a search and volunteer team to look for her, was uh was was mind-boggling for me and you know really worrying and I didn't think we'd ever find it to be honest but I had to do what I could do and you know with the help of people that came out of nowhere hundreds and hundreds of people searching for Gobi the miracle happened um, at any point so I know 
you had gone back to the UK and you were going to wait for Gobi to come to you. So when she went missing and you decided to go back to China and then again, go back to China and stay during that quarantine time with Gobi, did at any point was Lucia just like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is just a job. <laughs> did, were no, you guys I... kind of in sync with those decisions? Yeah, we were. We we absolutely were. And, you know, the the thing is, like, I couldn't have done it without Lucia's help and guidance and support as well. And, um, you know, she was a rock living in the UK and going to work and keeping things happening. And I was out in China completely, pretty much completely alone. And um, it was a difficult time. You know, not only that, I had to leave my job for three to four months and take a sabbatical. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid at at all and for them to allow me to go because I was leading a, a team in important business and uh, yeah that was a big thing for them as well so without their support and guidance as well it would have made it really difficult but yeah that's that's the beauty of the sort of story everyone sort of came together to make it happen and I can never ever say you know it was it was all me because it, it, it wasn't you know there's so many people and I think that's why at the end of the book I have to thank so many different people mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was incredible mm-hmm. to see people come together for Gobi. But I love that you you know you said you made Gobi a promise and you stuck to it. Like you know, it never did you think, well, it's just a dog. You know, you're like, well, I, I made her a promise. I'm going to keep my promise, and then you just stuck to it. And I thought that was so beautiful that not a lot of people would have that kind of mindset for mm-hmm. for a dog, especially. Yeah, that was really important to me to stick to that and a lot around that childhood that I mentioned. Um, yeah, made made me really want to make sure I did it and be the right person and be the better person about it all. And Gobi was never really uh, – I, I don't know. You know, it just switched so quickly. Gobi was more than a dog to me. And, really, you know, I've, I've had people say that to me. Why did you – do the things that you did when she was just a dog. And I said, you know, that's, that's why you have to read the book because she's, there's more to the story. And that's why I share the childhood that I had with people so they can understand it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that Gobi was found in China. She's lived with you guys in the UK and now she's in America. Has she just, has she hit all seven continents yet? Is she just a world-class traveler? (laughs) Well, she hasn't been to Australia and Africa and uh, those two countries are probably uh, not going to happen, especially Australia, even though I'm um, Australian born and she's got a big following in Australia, but the problem is the quarantine. The problem is the length of the flight to get there. Traveling from Europe to the US is a relatively quick flight, especially to New York. So it's like six hours, uh, seven hours. And, you know, that's 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 fine because Gobi flies with me. She sits next to me in the plane in a little bag and she gets through it. And, um, you know, it's it's remarkable to think, you know, what, what must Gobi's pet, uh, Gobi's dog sisters and brothers think if they knew Gobi was now living in the United States and, right. you know, all this way from the Gobi Desert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's been all over the place. She, it, It's crazy to think where she started and, and where she is now. Four countries and 11, uh, sorry, four passports she has and 11 countries she's visited, yeah. <laughs> well, that wow. brings me to, um, I, I, I'm not sure if Lucia kind of told you how we met. Um, it was kind of 
cosmic as well because Gobi just barked <laughs> at me because I wasn't reading her book. <laughs> she wanted me to know that she had a book and she wanted me to read it. And I thought that was cool. But how how did you guys end up in this area? Are you kind of stuck here because of, of COVID or, you know, did you come here for a specific reason? So we arrived in the U.S. in December last year and we, we spent some time initially in Louisiana. I'd actually done some speaking events. The book had been used as a library. A, a regional library read in Lafayette. So we went back to Lafayette and we did quite a lot in Louisiana down to New Orleans and other, other cities of presenting the book, reading the book, visiting schools and libraries and businesses, sharing our story. And then we had uh, the similar sorts of things happening up here in Tennessee, but also in Chicago and uh, Philadelphia. And uh, so that's why we were here. Then COVID sort of struck. And at the yeah. time, just happened to be in Chattanooga and uh, we thought this isn't a bad place to get stuck so um, we've stayed here since and nice. yeah we've 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 seen uh, everything you know we've been into all the parks and all the trails and been out on mountain biking been out running been out canoeing and mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a really cool place to hang out yeah this is a great area for outdoor enthusiasts for sure mm-hmm. but you can also be not far from the city if you want you know the comforts of delivery uh, and things like that so it's definitely a wonderful I'm not from here originally either so I think that it's a pretty cool place to end up as well. Gobi loves Chickamauga and the deer in Chickamauga and I don't think they feel the same way back but uh, (laughs) you can normally find us there every sort of late afternoon early evening trying to spot a few deer together and uh It's pretty cool, you know. It's it's been a been a decent place to hang out, and we're we're thankful for everyone being so um so uh, generous and hospitable as well. That's awesome, and I know um, with Gobi being a running dog, you probably have to take her out to expel a lot of energy on, <laughs> on the trails and stuff. Yeah, she's still like got loads of energy. She's born to run. She's only six years old. We we. The vets actually had to do an operation on Gobi's right leg at one point. When she was missing, she got hit by a vehicle. And they looked inside her teeth when they were operating on her and they could tell how old she was. So Gobi's still got plenty of life left in her. And she still gets out there and gets on the trails with me and my wife, Lucia. And, you know, even when she gets home, she chases our cat, Lara, all around the the lounge room and throughout the house. And the energy just levels are unbelievable. (laughs) And you also have a, a book about Lara, correct? Yes, I just released a book about Lara, and it's called Lara the Runaway Cat. Uh, a real cat, a fiction book, but also a book that details Lara's sort of journey to leave the home life as an indoor cat, to go out into the world to find herself. And as she goes on this journey to find herself, she she gets lost, but in getting lost, she actually finds other people that need help as well and she's there for them and it's got some really good um, heartwarming inspiring undertones for life as we know it today as well and it's it's a really lovely read as well that sounds lovely uh so that's cool I didn't know that it was fiction I had just I had looked it up I'd seen that you had one um so that's really neat do you think you're going to be writing more in the future there is some truth in the Lara the Runaway Cat as well because Gobi features in it and I feature in it and my wife Lucia features in it. So there are some truths in it. So you have to sort of decide which is the truth and which is <laughs> the truth. 
you know, it's been uh, phenomenal. If you'd have told me as a 13-year-old boy that I'd be a New York Times best-selling author with a book right. in 21 languages, um, I'd never have believed it. You know, the Finding Gobi is in a young readers and picture book and then to have the opportunity to write the Lara the Runaway Cat book, uh, it's been it's been fun and I've really enjoyed it. And I, there's definitely a follow-up book to come and uh, awesome. you know, something that we'll, we'll, we're sort of working on as, as we speak. That's great. That's really cool. I'm glad that you enjoy the writing process. You know, some people can find it more stressful or whatever, but you have such a heartwarming story and message to share. I think that probably makes it a little bit easier. I think it's also been a really good journey for me to to write the book and to, you know, to go back into that early childhood life and have to share that with people it brings out a lot of raw emotion, but it also helps you deal with it as well. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd encourage people to really take the time to, to sit down and, and, and write a little story. It doesn't have to be a long-winded book, but uh, I think it can be quite a helpful process to sort yeah. of realise, you know, where life's taken you and what you've been through and how to, how to sort of keep going forward as well. Yeah, Something very cathartic like process to get, get that emotion out there for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I also know that there is talks about a movie. Is that still in the works? I know that that's a slow process. <laughs> the movie is a really slow process, and uh, that's something that is really hard sometimes to communicate to to everyone is just, like, things to take time. It's mm -hmm. political, it's financial, it's uh, egos, and all these other things that have to come together to make mm -hmm. it all happen. And it's a really exciting process to be involved in and the COVID has obviously slowed things down dramatically and changed a lot of um, way movie houses are now operating as well. Mm -hmm. So we're still hopeful that things are going to be, uh, things are going to happen with the film next year. So it's, it's still very, very likely that Finding Gobi will come to either the streaming platform of your choice or the cinema in the next year or two. Yep. That would be awesome. Now, That's I saw so that there was cool. a director attached to it recently on, on IMDb. I've been following on, on IMDb, yeah. uh, so which is cool. But who do you think could play you in the movie version? Yes, your dream you. <laughs> well, we, we do have uh, Terry George, director, who's done some awesome stuff like Hotel Rwanda in the name of the yep. father. Mm -hmm. We have two top-level producers as well who've created movies like Marley and Me uh, and Wolverine and Logan. Uh, the acting thing, I don't know. It's it's something that we've had some really big name people mm -hmm. sort of say they're interested, but until it happens, uh, I don't I don't know. You know, I can't really say who I want to. Yeah, do. I get that. <laughs> um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think just to see the story on the screen would be awesome. And again, just to think where Gobi's come from to be a little bit of Hollywood for her would be pretty cool. Absolutely. I could totally see her at home on the red carpet. Yeah, I think she'd work mm. that, that red carpet pretty good. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe get her like a, a sparkly collar. She'd yeah. Be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'd, I don't know who's going to play Gobi. That was that was always one thing that the movie house has said to me. Probably need about 10 dogs. To right. Oh, wow. So. I didn't know it would be that many. Yeah, I was thinking Gobi could probably play herself. She's so easygoing and, and just, you know, calm and stuff. She'd probably be pretty good, but I didn't realize it would take that many. 
So yeah, cool. and uh, you know, Scobies are pretty unique-looking dogs, so they're going to have fun yeah. trying to find ten of those dogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's another point that I did want to make. Um, kind of a weird segue. Goby being a unique-looking dog. I saw in an interview, I think it was a catch-up you did a couple of years ago about how you didn't want to know what kind of dog she was specifically because you didn't want the the breed to become like a shopped breed or, or a thing like that. And I thought that was really incredible. Like not a lot of people would have that, that uh, mental clarity to, to see that that would happen. So I thought that was really beautiful sentiment. Yeah. We, we took a decision very early on to have Gobi spayed. And that was like one of those moments where you're like, Oh, but Gobi puppies would have been so cute too. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, using Gobi's story to help other animals in need, you know there's enough dogs out in the world already that don't have a home. We didn't need to create any more. And I was really, really conscious of the fact of the, telling the story of Gobi and it being made into a film that at some point people would want to know what sort of dog Gobi is. And it's, it's one of the most asked questions. Mm -hmm. And the vets uh, indicated to me that in that region of northwest China, Chihuahuas and Shih Tzus are really, really popular dogs and Gobi could be a combination of those two, but she could be a combination of a hundred other things as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I kind of like the fact that we don't know because it, it leaves us to remember that we love the dog for who it is. Yeah, absolutely. It never, when I was reading the story, it never really entered my mind to wonder what she, what kind of breed she was. I just always thought, well, she's just her um, as I was yeah. reading the story, which I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm in general a dog person, but I, I thought, you know, just. I, I agree. I think, you know, that's probably been one of the things as well that's really made me uh, not want to go down that track is also the same thought process of I don't really care. Like, I love her for who she is. She's just mm -hmm. she's a dog, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that makes me think of. So my husband and I, when we were um, getting our first dog together, our dog, Harley, she was part of a litter that we were told from the shelter that um, they were part Husky, part St. Bernard. And my husband had a St. Bernard when he was uh, young. So when we got her, she topped out at 35 pounds, like no St. Bernard in her whatsoever. Yeah, so I can't even, just, I was thinking about that in my head. You never know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, going from a St. Bernard previously to a little dog like Gobi, Tiny. yeah, it's quite a difference. And, you know, uh, I guess a lot of people that have big dogs don't necessarily always like the little yappy dogs. And, you know, when Gobi joined me on day two of the race and was chewing on my shoes as we were about to set off and run 25 miles and uh, she was running around me between my feet. I thought, this is one of those pesky little dogs. <laughs> you know? uh, and I tried to get rid of her as much as I could on that day, but she just mm -hmm. clung next to me. And uh, little did I know that I'd fall in love with the little dog as well. Yeah, She, so. she, she picked you for sure. She's like, yeah. yep, this is my person. I'm going to stay here. Yep. The man in yellow, I had a yellow shirt on and yellow <laughs> shoe covers, and uh, yeah. she, she loves the color yellow. <laughs> That's cool. That is so cool. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Absolutely. We very much appreciate it. I have been very excited about, about getting to speak with you for a while now. Oh, thank you so much for having us on. It's always great to be able to share the story. And, you know, there's still so many people out there that have never heard of our story of finding mm -hmm. Gobi. And, uh, yeah. you know, we love, we love to, I, I love talking about Gobi and, uh, 
the story. So it's, it's been a real pleasure. That's awesome. I actually, when I met Lucia and I came back and I was looking at the book, I actually already had it on my list of books to read, which was interesting. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> um, so I had kind of been vaguely aware of it, but I did not know the extent of everything. So it was really interesting learning about it. The book is just, uh, it made me laugh and it made me cry. It was just <laughs> everything you want a book to be. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's the thing. There's something for everyone there. It's uh, it's a book for for lots of different people and lots of different readers. It's not not a running book at all. It's not a dog book at all. It's it's a combination of everything. Life, yeah, um, adventure, travel, dogs, running. You know, it's mm -hmm. highs and lows. It's 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 all in there. I think which makes it a, a really nice read for everyone. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, and you've made it super accessible, too. So you have a picture book, you have a middle grade book, and then you have the one that we read. And so I, it's it's so easy for anyone of any, um, any reading level can access a Gobi story. Yeah, the, there's, a, there's a book for the whole family to read. And, you know, the middle grade book that you read is um, Accelerated Reader Program book throughout schools in the U.S., it's been really widely used and when I go and speak at schools and I have kids come up to me afterwards, especially like young boys who say, you know, they, they really hate reading and they, they struggle to finish a book that they've read the Finding Gobi Young Readers edition. I'm, I'm just like really proud of that because mm. um, I know when I was a child it was always difficult and I think kids these mm. days have even more things like social media and so yeah. much stuff on TV. Um, to sort of hear them say that they read the book and they enjoyed it, I'm, I'm just like blown away with that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. There are so many other things that kids could be doing these days that for a kid to sit down and read a book, it's a big deal. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, I have one final question and it just popped into my head just now. But who is the most interesting or the coolest person that you and Gobi have been able to meet on your adventures? That is a good question. That's a good question because we have met a lot of a lot of people and had some really incredible experiences. Um, uh, I'm going to say probably the president of Slovenia. Oh, that's cool. That was a really awesome experience to be invited to the Open Gala Day that he was hosting mm -hmm. and to speak in front of the audience there. And we were invited along a special guest, but I didn't really know that I was going to be speaking in front of the audience. And the president is speaking to the crowd and he's speaking in his, his uh, you know, his, his language, Slovenian language. And at the time, I was standing in a position where the translator wasn't next to me. So I couldn't tell what was being said. Oh, wow. And the next thing, the president is sort of um, asking me to come up on stage. Oh, no. <laughs> So the translator quickly, quickly tells me, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking like 10, 15 seconds of dialogue telling me what he's just been talking about. <laughs> it's really been about kindness to one another and to each other. And uh, I then get up there and talk about one act of kindness changing my life forever and how the moment when I go back in the middle of the race to pick Gobi up to take her across the river crossing changed everything for me didn't do it for anything that ever came forward you know I just did it because it was the right thing to do and and look where life took me 
And uh, the, the, it really resonated with everyone there and it really was the moment where I thought, thank goodness I said the right thing and <laughs> I could have that's made a real awesome. fool of myself. But um, yeah, I think that's the sort of final thing I'd like to just encourage people to do as well is be kind to one another, be kind to animals and you know, life's a pretty incredible journey. You never know where it can take you as well. Mm, that's beautiful. That's a perfect way to end the interview. So thank you again so, yes, so much for taking the sure. time. Thank you so much, ladies, as well, and uh, really appreciate it. Absolutely, right. and thank you again just so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. All right. Guys, I hope you enjoyed our interview with Dion Leonard uh, as much as I did because I was fangirling hard. We got to see Gobi. <laughs> yes. She's so cute. I just want to squeeze her. <laughs> but yes, that was so, so cool. So glad we got to do that. So, mm-hmm. like, still in shock as to how we even, how Tavia even met them. Like, I just. Did. Yeah, I mean, and and like I said, it's just very cosmic. Like, there's Mm -hmm. some larger entity at play here. Whatever you believe in, it's it's just, you know, the whole story from Dion meeting Gobi to him finding her in a city of three million people to her, like, barking at me randomly. Like, had she not barked at me, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't even have had a conversation, you know? Like, but she she was like, (laughs) Gobi was like, Tavia, Tavia. She's like, hey, you, hey, you over there. I want to talk to you. Read my book. Right. And it was just, I don't know. It's just, it seems like there's something larger than us at play in the entirety of the story, which is just beautiful. And like I said, heartwarming, and especially at a time when I, I think need we need it, it as, a, as a country, mm-hmm. as a world. Um, I know I've had a very rough few weeks and I needed it especially. Mm-hmm. So it just, it made... It made me feel really good. Good. I'm so glad. And then I'll really quick let you guys know, I have decided on my buddy read. Um, so next and, week, what? And you cannot change it because I'm like halfway into it already. <laughs> I'll change it like two days before. It's fine. <laughs> um, no. So I have decided. It is It is written in stone. We're reading The Bone Houses by Emily Lloyd-Jones. Super cool looking, super atmospheric. We're getting into fall and spooky season and sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. The cover's really gorgeous and yeah. creepy. So yeah. very excited about it. We'll be talking about that next episode. Yes. And I'm excited about that as well. And then we've got a spectacular October planned. We have some some different things that we're kind of yes. mixing it up. And we've kind of opened fun. the floodgates a little bit mm-hmm. and we're just running with it. So I'm excited about October reading. Yes. And there's some good books that have recently come out, some sequels that I can't wait to get into to and to share with you guys. So that'll be fun as well. Yes. Well, guys, as usual, stay safe, stay well. And read some good books. Yes. And check out Finding Gobi. And check out Dion's website. And, and they're on Instagram. And they're really active yes. uh, there. So definitely check them out. Uh, it's Finding Gobi on Instagram as well. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.